Hello, everyone, and welcome to, um, I think, what is this, episode 18? Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> of uh, the Under Further Review podcast with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And uh, we are really excited to be back with you after quite a long layoff with the holidays and just general malaise that came <laughs> um, with the winter and um, the inauguration. Um, so, also, our uh, it seemed like none of our celebrities and athlete friends had been getting up to much trouble so we were struggling to find stuff to talk about but uh they didn't keep us keep us down for long um there's been a pretty exciting couple of weeks with um sports and famous people uh getting into trouble so um, i think we can dive right in yes and you were right it is number 18 your memory for these things is staggering sometimes yes. so um as Brooke said, uh, thanks for sticking around and waiting for us to record another podcast. So we have some stuff that we just sort of wanted to, as you said, dive right into. And I think maybe the first one um, that's on our list is that uh, in Illinois, there has been an amendment to uh, legislation to essentially cut off workers' compensation benefits for professional athletes. So in Illinois, under their workers' compensation scheme, if you are found to have been permanently injured, uh, you get, by some calculation of like tables and rates and how long you've, um, uh, how old you are and what kind of injury you are, they set a, an amount of money that you would get probably on a monthly basis till you were 67 years old. Uh, this legislation, sponsored by Illinois Senate Minority Leader Christine Rodogno, sorry, uh, she's a Republican from Lamont, uh, would end workers' compensation benefits for professional athletes in baseball, hockey, soccer, and football um, when they turned 35 or five years after the injury occurred, whichever is later. Um, and the benefits would be cut off at that point unless the individual could prove that their expected playing career would last longer than that. So the reason this is particularly in the news is sort of twofold. I think mostly in Illinois, people are upset because this was something that I guess was tagged onto their budget and they can't get a budget passed because they can't get agreement on this horrible workers' comp issue. Um, but more importantly for, I think, our purposes is um, this amendment is being pushed by the McCaskey family or backed by the McCaskey family who um, own the Chicago Bears. And Damar Smith, the head of the NFL Players Association, made um, some comments this week regarding the McCaskey family and um, his feelings about this particular legislation, saying um, that he and the Players Association would go so far as to um, advise any free agent against signing with the Bears because of this legislation and the fact that it kind of evidences that the owners don't really care about the players and are just looking to save a buck. Mm -hmm. um, what I found pretty interesting is that apparently most of the um, athletes who actually benefit from this legis legislation sorry, benefit from the current workers' comp legislation are um, minor league athletes who make less than $100,000 a year. So we're not talking about, you know, the Jay Cutlers or the um, Dwayne Wades or the uh, Jonathan Taves of the world. We're talking about guys who, you know, play minor league baseball and blow out their knee or something. Um, and there's no definition of, like, who this would impact. It just says professional athletes or athletes playing for a professional team in Illinois. Right. So... 
Um, and apparently the workers' comp scheme in Illinois has already undergone some pretty significant reforms in 2006 and 2011, and this just um, strikes a lot of people as a grab for money by uh, a bunch of people who are already quite rich and are just trying to avoid having to pay money to folks who get hurt in the line of business that so, they run. I'm sort of curious because you said the most that most people who take advantage of workers' compensation benefits in, in Illinois are semi-professional athletes, right. like people who don't do this um, professionally and as their main source of income, mm -hmm. or who are playing like minor league lacrosse or whatever. Um, I'm just sort of curious as to actually how many professional athletes, like people who play for the Bears or for the Cubs or for the White Sox or for the Blackhawks actually take advantage of the workers' compensation benefits? I, that's a great question, and I wasn't able to find statistics on that. Um, it was more a sort of... Uh, I think there are actually probably more minor league athletes in general in mm -hmm. Illinois as opposed to the... I guess they have four, prof they have four professional yeah, teams, they have right? Four professional yeah, four professional teams. Um, oh, and so it includes soccer, too. Oh, okay, so five. The Chicago Fire. Is that what they're called? That was what they were called when the MLS started. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the teams have changed names, but mm, that sounds true. right to me. Um, yeah, so I, but I do think you're, I guess I'm not sure what the numbers are, but I think the, the point that maybe you're you're trying to get at is like why why would the McCaskey family even be mm -hmm. fighting this if they don't have that many players or supporting it supporting yeah. it right and I my understanding is also that the NFL fu helps fund any workers compensation claims in part because they like charge back money to the teams or something um, so it's not as if this is like a huge burden on taxpayers mm -hmm. or necessarily the individual owners well th but that's how most workers compensation funds are right. like, funded is that employers provide like a percentage of their payroll into the state workers compensation fund and that's and I would I would think of all all five teams the it Bears are probably the more is the Chicago Fire. It is the Chicago Fire. Um, the Bears are probably the most likely to be running into workers' comp claims since they have more players on a football team than That's any. That's true. I guess even baseball, if you don't include like folks you have kind of hanging around to like relief pitchers, but. Mm -hmm. um, and the NFL, the average NFL career is what like three years long, yeah. and I would think a lot of them get knocked out because of injuries as opposed to just retiring. Yes. And I mean, I can understand that if you're trying to compare someone who, you know, works on an assembly line and they are disabled from their job mm -hmm. and they can't stand and they can't assemble pieces and they can't work, right. that this is why the workers' compensation scheme um, gives you benefits until you're 67, which is the time in which you would retire. Right. And I also understand the argument, which is, if you're a professional athlete, you're not playing basketball, you're not playing hockey, you're not playing baseball till you're 67. More likely than not, you'll probably retire sometime in your 30s or maybe even early 40s if mm -hmm. you're a baseball player. So why do we need to keep paying you money until you're 67? And I don't even know. And that's one of the things that I kind of have problems with, which is the legislation, the new legislation is mm -hmm. literally like a paragraph and a half long. Right. So it doesn't describe anything. Like, are you getting... Because most of the time for workers' comp, you the amount of money that you get does have a tie into what you actually make because it's supposed to help support you. So apparently the way the calculation is done is that you were paid two thirds of the difference between the average salary you could earn pre-injury and the average salary you could earn um, 
post-injury in suitable employment or business. And I'm using air quotes because that's a quote from the statute. Um, so I guess if I blow out my knee, I could have earned a million dollars a year playing football. But now I don't know what a suitable business would be for a former football player who, like, my leg is all screwed up. <laughs> but let's assume it's $100,000. So then I'd get paid... Two thirds, two thirds of nine hundred thousand dollars. No, yeah, I guess two thirds of, yeah. So that's why I mean I can understand wanting to draw exceptions around professional athletes because the amount of money that an individual makes is so disproportionate to say someone who, um, you know, hurts their back like working at Office Depot or something right. like that. So you're not going to have to worry about two thirds of. And $900,000 is probably very little when we're talking about it. But there's not that many athletes that... Right. And I think part of this also may circle back to the idea that the um, NFLPA, I think, has been fighting for a long time for the league to provide better care for retired players. Mm -hmm. Um, And since some other leagues may have a safety net for their players outside of any kind of statutory scheme... Um, it sounds like there's no trust with the NFL that they're going to provide those benefits. So this seems like something that the NFLPA has an interest in making sure its members are protected Mm -hmm. by. Um, and now they perhaps will not be, um, I don't know how, and I, I guess they didn't talk about whether this kicks in for folks who have, um, like traumatic brain injury or, um, injuries as a result of concussions, which may not show themselves until later in life mm-hmm. um, and tying that back to their playing career. Um, and particularly if they played for more than just the Bears, that would be kind of tough to yeah. to establish. So there's a lot of things wrong with the legislation, um, aside from how the NFLPA feels about it. I mean, right. it just seems like it's a very, at this point, a very short-sighted and very poorly written legislation. Well, and the fact that the state's entire budget is being held up by this mm-hmm. seems kind of insane, but apparently um, I was reading a lot of law bloggers in Illinois are horrified by this and are talking about how this is why people hate politics. But the uh, the governor, I guess, is a billionaire businessman who was never involved in politics before, that sounds awfully familiar. <laughs> um, and uh, the the thought is that he doesn't really know what he's doing. So um, the fact that he's standing by and letting the budget be kind of hijacked, hijacked. by this issue mm-hmm. um, is causing a lot of angst, even outside of the NFL PA. So well, that's fair because yeah. it's there's nothing worse than poorly written legislation um, because. <laughs> Well, we will see for a number of reasons, but I mean, you don't, it provides no guidance. It gives you no path of moving forward. You can't, you don't know what to do because it's not, it's either vague or it's like drafted in a way that it can be interpreted in a million different ways. And I mean, it's just, it's kind of a nightmare. It's the Lawyers Full Employment Act, I guess. (laughs) Which there's a lot of that for us these days. Yes. Um, (laughs) So I guess moving to our second topic, which is, pretty related in terms of poor drafting um, and poor legislation all around would be the um, executive order on uh, prohibiting, uh, well, there's just so much. I don't even know where to start. I think the summary is it basically limits or prohibits travel into the United States by nationals of seven countries Mm -hmm. 
Iraq, Iran, Syria, Somalia, Yemen, Yemen, Sudan, Sudan and um, maybe Libya. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, which as a travel ban, it certainly impacts um, the at least three of the four. Actually, it might impact even MLS since I think the Vancouver Whitecaps and there's a team in Toronto and their teams in Toronto and Montreal that could be affected, mm-hmm. but um, has an impact on their ability to um, travel to and from games in Canada. Yes. So we're recording this on February 4th um, and a judge in um, Washington State um, basically enjoined the travel ban yesterday, late yesterday. So, and as a result, the State Department and Department of Homeland Security have all said that they are going to go back to business as usual prior to this executive order being signed last week. Um, As anyone has watched the news over the last week, you'll know that there was chaos at airports when people were not allowed entry into the country, even though they were, um, they had legal status as residents or they had, uh, you know, pre-approved visas to visit the United States for whatever reason um, from these seven countries, even if they weren't flying directly from these seven countries, but if they were flying in from Europe, but were the nationals of one of these seven countries, they were either detained or they were not allowed to board planes in Europe to come or Canada to come. So um, there was a lot of confusion um, over how this executive order was being implemented. There was a lot of litigation over all of this. Um, And in part of when this was all going on, the NBA reached out to the State Department to ask what, how they were interpreting it because the NBA has uh, at least two players from Sudan. Luel Dang and Thon Maker. Right. Um, and they never got a response, did they? I actually looked, <laughs> I looked at that this morning, and no, it doesn't seem that they did receive a response. But in one of the articles I read that there was a dialogue going on between the NBA yeah. and the State Department, so maybe they were talking as opposed to like an official, like, this is how we're going to deal with your players. Because as Burke said, you know, there were games against the Toronto Raptors. Um, There's no more Vancouver Grizzlies because they moved. But um, (laughs) yes, but like, you know, um, I think uh, Maker has dual citizenship. He's from Sudan originally, but he has Australian citizenship, um, dual yeah, Australian citizenship. And he either is here in America on a work visa because he plays for the uh, Bulls. No, where does who does he play for? Oh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Sorry. Um, so he's either here on a work visa or he might have a green card or he has some other visa that allows him to work and play in the United States, but he travels on an Australian passport. And Luol Deng has um, a passport from the United Kingdom. So even if you did have a passport from another country that the United States is friendly with, although the jury's still out on whether or not we're still friendly with Australia, but if even if you had a passport from a country that the United States was still friendly with, but you were a national of one of these seven countries mm-hmm. named in the list, you were precluded from entering into the United States. Right, and the rule, it sounded like the, um, because no one got any advance notice of this new regulation going into place, there was no plan for how to administer it, so kind of depended on what airport you flew into, mm-hmm. what was going to happen to you. Yeah. Um, a number of judges, so the order was put into was signed last Friday night. Um, by Saturday, 
early Saturday, there were um, lawsuits filed, I think, in at least four federal courts. Mm-hmm. The There's a judge in Boston who entered kind of the most sweeping injunction of the executive order. And so a lot of people were being told to fly through Boston because the Customs and Border Patrol there um, were just letting people come through as long as all of the rest of your paperwork was in order. They weren't holding you back. Um, because you had a visa from one of these seven countries the fact that like there was no consistency amongst federal yeah police basically is um really alarming to me among other things but um but yeah it it does sound like i think the nba was the only league that was identified as having players from any of these countries um i know the nhl there are at least two Muslim players. Um, one is a guy named Niall Yakupov, who plays for the Edmonton Oilers, I think still. Uh, and the other is Nazem Kadri, who plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Kadri is actually from, was born in Canada. Um, I'm not sure. I think his family immigrated there uh, before he was born. And I'm not sure where his family came from originally. And um, Yakupov is from Russia, um, who, you know, he'll probably be able to travel back and forth without any kind of documentation soon. Um, but, you know, the, the while the ban, the, or excuse me, the executive order doesn't explicitly say that it's banning Muslims, um, that's certainly how it's been interpreted, uh, not only based on the language that in the order itself that says that once sort of the this period of review has passed, minority religions will get preference, and mm-hmm. all seven of these countries are Muslim-majority countries, uh, but also sort of contemporaneous statements by uh, the president and a number of his advisors, yeah. which... Uh, made it seem like this was targeted towards keeping Muslims from entering the country. So for the NHL, while they didn't have um, people who would be kind of automatically or initially uh, running into trouble because they weren't from any of the seven countries, the fact that they have a particular faith was um, a cause for concern, I think, from some outside observers. Although Gary Bettman has refused to publicly make any statements regarding the uh, the travel ban. Um, and I think uh, as Roger Goodell has, as, um, but uh, it does impact MLS players, but their season hasn't started yet. Oh, okay. So, um, so there probably would have been some clarification had the season been underway. Um, as you said, there are teams in Canada, but mm-hmm. I know MLS has a lot of overseas play- like players from overseas because, you know, that's where we get a lot of our yeah. soccer players. Um, so... Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see um, because, you know, based on what the judge in uh, Washington State has said, because it is a national wide injunction, a nationwide injunction um, and going forward and in terms of like, because while Milwaukee is finished its regular season series with Toronto, there is a possibility that they could play each other in the playoffs. So, you know, there's always that. But I, you know, even outside of the fact that we talk about sports and celebrity it it, um it will impact many many facets of our the sports and celebrity life (laughs) right i think there is at least one um iranian director whose film is nominated for Mm -hmm. the best foreign film oscar is not coming to the oscar ceremony um i'm not sure if at this point it's by choice or because he's concerned he can't get into the country um so it certainly does go beyond just mm-hmm. the, the sports leagues. Yeah, so. but we are here mostly to talk about sports and celebrities. Yeah. Um, 
And so that's where we are with that. Um, we did talk about um, sort of similar issues related to uh, the Brexit and how that would impact foreign players mm -hmm. playing in England um, since they're disassociating themselves with the European Union. So I can't remember which podcast that was, but if you <laughs> want to go back into the archives, we did talk about um, how those potential changes could impact uh, foreign player contracts and how easily they could come into the country and play for um, you know any of the four tiers of England. Uh, English soccer um, and apparently uh, I have a friend who is a um, Anglophile and follows British politics quite closely and yeah. Theresa May their prime minister has said if they move forward with the brexit It's going to be a hard brexit mm. meaning they're gonna have to leave the free trade area um, not just the European Union. So I'm not sure if that's going to have an even more detrimental impact on foreign players coming into England or um, if that would be a problem regardless of how they leave the the eu but, yeah well uh, brief update on that <laughs> <laughs> um so our third topic uh we we're just like whizzing through these today yeah. <laughs> um so there uh Burke, i think you can explain since this is totally in your nhl wheelhouse sure so i think we mentioned this on a couple of other podcasts but um a couple of different groups of players have filed suit against the nhl based on um brain damage they have suffered um, as a result of playing in the NHL. Typically, these are referred to as the NHL concussion lawsuits. There are also NFL concussion lawsuits. The reason this is um, something we're talking about this week is uh, because earlier this week, the um, judge in one of the concussion lawsuits um, unsealed um, some materials regarding a discovery request that the NHL had made for correspondence between um, a couple of the named player plaintiffs and a public relations firm out of Washington, D.C., uh, because these players had written um, op-ed pieces for newspapers, I think, in both Canada and the United States. And the NHL was asserting that this wasn't actually, these weren't the words of the players, um, and uh, they wanted to see what the correspondence was between the players and the PR firm to uh, prove that point, going so far as to um, make a comment, and I'm trying to find the exact quote, um, the NHL claimed that the players were, quote, mere puppets for class counsel, and basically that they didn't have the mental faculties to have written the op-ed pieces as they appeared in um, these newspapers. So what I found, well, before I get there, um, the judge in the case said that the deposition testimony of these three players in particular, Bernie Nichols, um, Reed Larson, and Dave Christian, David Christian, um, their deposition testimony where most of them said, you know, we didn't literally handwrite these things out, but we reviewed them, made edits, we consider them our words. Um, in the judge's view, that was sufficient to establish that th these were actually um, the players' words and thoughts and um, throughout the NHL's request for the correspondence between them and the PR firm. What I thought was a little weird, besides the really harsh language about the, <laughs> the players, was if you're admitting that their brains are basically scrambled <laughs> such that they couldn't write something coherent that appeared in a newspaper... Aren't you kind of admitting that they've suffered like terrible? Per I mean, I guess you're not admitting causation, but um, you're. I mean, you're basically admitting that they've suffered the damage that they're alleging they've suffered. So it seems like a 
a very big admission for what <laughs> appears to be a pretty narrow issue. Like, kind of, who gives a shit if the PR department, PR people wrote these op-eds for them? It doesn't mean that they didn't uh, suffer brain damage from playing the NHL. I, yeah. I'm not understanding why this no, happened. No, I, <laughs> I agree with you. It's just like, to focus on these, these three op-ed pieces, um, whether or not, you know, Larson actually felt like he had to get back into the game or like they were right. hiding information. I'm like that is going to be all borne out in other discovery and testimony and all of that. So whether, whether I mean, I guess it does count a little bit if you're saying that this, this PR firm and plaintiff's counsel is just feeding them lines to, you know, essentially be the puppets. I, right. I, I can see that, but you know, these are three, and as you said, there's multiple suits going on, so... Um, and, you know, I guess in my... I don't have it anymore, um, like, a lot of litigation experience, but certainly I recall from when I was doing more litigation, like, you sometimes have to make strategic decisions. Do we admit mm -hmm. X in order to make a broader point that we think we can win on? And, mm -hmm. like, maybe that admission doesn't mean... I mean, it doesn't look great from an optics standpoint, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it doesn't... It's not a huge harm yeah. to our case to say, like, well, yeah, that that's true. Um, here, I just, it seems like bad strategy to me to be like, yes, these guys are obviously brain damaged, which I don't mean, like, pejoratively. That's basically what they were <laughs> saying. Um, to say that, but then just to be making the point that they're being told what to say by mm -hmm. um, a PR firm. I don't know. I just, it seems callous and not like they, the NHL was going to get anything big out of if they had won this motion. Well, but. I mean, maybe they, maybe that was a calculated gamble. Maybe yeah. they thought they would win something big out of this, which is these people, these individuals really don't feel this way, and they are just, they're doing it because they're being paid to do it or, what you know, whatever reason, and, and maybe that's what, um, that's what the NHL's attorneys thought, but I, I just... As you said, you sometimes take these calculated risks to see what the what the possible payoff could be for you, but sometimes don't they don't work out. No, they don't work <laughs> out, and then you just come off looking like a jackass. Well, and at least um, the NHL does seem to have a history of trying to like shame people into submission. I don't know how much you followed last year's All Star voting oh, um, yeah, no. situation <laughs> with John Scott, who is an enforcer. Um, and there was actually another podcast where the hosts got behind this idea of getting John Scott into the All-Star game. He arguably did not have the skills to be playing the All-Star game, mm -hmm. um, but nonetheless, there was this push to get him in. He won the popular fan <laughs> vote, and then um, won, I, I can't remember what he's, he's vice president of something with the NHL, Colin Campbell, who is sort of a notorious disaster when it comes to like making obnoxious statements in private that then become public, um, told... John Scott, basically, aren't your little girls going to be embarrassed of you to go and play in this all-star game? You should just drop out, which made John Scott very angry yes. and made was, him double down. Yeah, because he I, my understanding from hearing interviews with him is that he was thinking about just backing out and not participating because it was he felt like people were kind of making fun of him. Mm -hmm. um, but then Colin Campbell pissed him off so badly. And he, I think, came around to the idea that they were laughing with him, not at him, um, that he played. And it was a really great game and a really fun experience, I think, for everybody. But all this is to say that the NHL does seem to try and kind of embarrass people into going along with what they want. And yet again, it didn't work for them. So uh yes it's 
it's not a it's not a good look no um, i'm sure there will be further developments um and we will keep you updated on those yeah that's why people boo gary bettman all the time <laughs> oh god he's just the worst um although i guess he's made a lot of money for the owners and i don't find him as repugnant as roger goodell so <laughs> um so we're going to uh those were the three main topics we're going to go very quickly into our our three minute warning um so we these are all callbacks to earlier topics that we've discussed but um matt barnes who got into a altercation at a nightclub in um in new york city uh when the sacramento kings were there to play the knicks i'm presuming um not the nets or or not yeah not the nets or so uh he alleged to have like hit a woman and then when the woman's boyfriend or friend jumped in to intercede there was didn't he uh, choke somebody i thought i couldn't tell i couldn't remember if he choked the woman and then hit the guy or choked the guy and hit the woman like there was an elbow involved so there was so yeah there was an altercation um he was charged with a third degree assault assault, which is a misdemeanor and turned himself in presumably to uh just move the process forward and and he'll have his day in court unless it gets pled to something else um his attorney has said uh basically like you know everything will be every everything will come out and that you know obviously matt didn't do this etc uh matt barnes is also being sued civilly by these two individuals as a result of that nightclub altercation um and as part of this the most recent kind of updates on the investigation boogie cousins had nothing to do with any yeah. of this which i was very happy to hear um and also as this is really has nothing to do with the law per se but matt barnes rolled up to the police station wearing a sweatshirt that said reckless across the front I just feel like maybe that was not the outfit to be wearing <laughs> when he turned himself in for allegedly like choking out a five foot five inch woman at a nightclub. Um, but who am I to say? I guess that's his his and his lawyer's business. But that other than the him getting uh, formally, I guess, arrested for this, um, mm-hmm. that was the one thing that jumped out to me. His photos <laughs> going into the precinct. Um, and then um, in other news. Um, murder charges were uh, I can't even st- <laughs> squeaking uh, yeah Formal this is charges. the case of um, Joe McKnight the USC and New York Jets um, football player who was shot to death in a road rage incident in uh, Louisiana a few months back um, the shooter a guy by the name of Ronald Gasser was originally charged with manslaughter The understanding based on comments from the sheriff's department was that it was because of um, Louisiana's very, very broad standard ground law, um, which basically lets you shoot people or violently attack people anywhere um, if you feel like you're under threat. Uh, And the, the explanation was basically that he, this Ronald Gasser acted in what he believed to be self-defense, but it was, that was an unreasonable belief. So that's why he was charged with manslaughter. The case was then, they continued to investigate the case, um, was then brought to the grand jury who indicted Gasser on second degree murder charges, um, which in the state of Louisiana can bring a maximum sentence of life with hard labor, which I had no idea that was still a thing in America, but so be it. Um, 
his bond or his bail was kicked up to $750,000 and um, he'll be going to trial, I would guess in the near term, the Will Smith, um, Cardell Hayes trial seemed to go forward really quickly. Yeah. Um, so I would think this would be moving along pretty rapidly as well. But um, the there were some assertions that the reason the charges kind of got escalated was because of public outcry that he wasn't being charged with the higher level crime because he was white and joe mcknight was black um jen and i had a conversation offline about how it's a little concerning that the outcry of the public can now influence what crimes people are charged with um i think we came at it from two different angles my thought was like the public shouldn't have to get pissed off for the cops and prosecutors to do their job. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Genevieve made the point that, well, also um, the public shouldn't dictate what <laughs> crimes people are charged with, both of which I think are very valid points. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. Um, if the idea is that the public is so pissed off at what he's done without hearing all the evidence, I wonder if they'll look to move the trial out of the parish uh, that it's um, currently being kind of run through. Um, I, in um, going to that, I think the sheriff said that in the time in between uh, when he was originally charged with manslaughter and when they took it to a grand jury, they'd interviewed another like 116 people or had yeah. 116 interviews and were able to amass all of this evidence to support um, a second degree murder charge. And if you want to call that just covering up for you know their general initial incompetence or what that's that's what the sheriff's position is on this um and hopefully he didn't scream and use any <laughs> slurs in the press conference in which he explained all of that uh, i only read the like <laughs> short little excerpt in the news so i i didn't i didn't view the whole, whole thing um because you know it's it's a treat um and then the last item in our um three minute warning um is really a throwback to uh, our very lengthy discussion with our special guest Allison on sexual assault on college campuses and we discussed in depth what was happening at Baylor University. Um, and this comes up again uh, and I think it will keep coming up uh, with respect to Baylor and other college campuses that there was a lawsuit filed uh, within the last week? No. Recently? Uh, pretty recently. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. recently. Um, in which, uh, in part of the complaint with this lawsuit, uh, the allegation is over uh, this woman who alleged that she was raped by two players on the Baylor football team um, on an after like I think it was during a party uh, she went to she basically called the police right after it happened the police never did an investigation never pressed charges Baylor handled the whole matter poorly although I believe that an outside investigator and an adjudicator concluded that Armstead had raped her so I don't know if that was something she had done independently or that was part of the title IX process that they had um, at Baylor but in any event as part of the um, her complaint it alleged that there were at least 52 acts of rape um, mm -hmm. at Baylor including five gang rapes by at least 31 Baylor football players between 2011 and 2014 and essentially it was the systematic failure of Baylor's administration to basically address any of these things that this is why this behavior is continuing to happen on campus and you know, Art Bryles, who was the Baylor football coach, was fired 
in the summertime. Yes. Yeah. And Ken Starr, who was their chancellor, left. And so um, this is sort of continuing fallout from that. But I think uh, part of that was also all of these text messages that have been disclosed between um, Bryles and other members of the administration with that basically shows this I wouldn't even call it, it's beyond callous, but basically, like, if we don't know about it, we can't report it attitude, and, right. and we're not going to address it attitude, um, related to sexual assault, and it's... And what part of what's sort of interesting and disturbing about this is that the um, text messages were disclosed, I, I'm unclear if it's part of the lawsuit filed by Art Bryles for libel that I believe has now been dropped, or the lawsuit filed by, um, I think it was Ian mm -hmm. McCaw, the uh, former assistant athletic director. Um, both of, both Bryles and McCaw sued the university and the regents, and these text messages were uh, part of a filing in response to, I think it was McCaw's lawsuit, um, that just detail, as Jen put, kind of a... Uh, horrifying example of, you know, just washing your hands of a problem. Um, but, you know, the the regents had these text, the text messages are from 2011 to 2015, and mm -hmm. Art Bryles didn't get fired until 2016. Mm -hmm. So it's very convenient that now that it suits them, they're willing to throw Art Bryles under the bus. I think there was talk up until quite recently that Baylor might rehire him. <laughs> um and so it's just, I mean, it's a, the Baylor football program is a fucking cesspool. <laughs> it's appalling. And, uh, you know, I think someone referred to it as just a black hole. And, um, you know, the fact that everyone that's been involved in this situation other than Bryles now has a new job where they are still working with students. Mm -hmm. um, I think Ian McCaw, I hope I'm remembering this correctly, I think he's working at Liberty University, which is... Um, ostensibly a uh, conservative Christian yeah. school. He's and he's the athletic somebody who, director there. Yet he turned a blind eye to violent crimes being committed against yes. people on his campus. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's fine. Yeah, and uh -huh. the other thing, so our Bryles' son, Kendall Bryles, was hired by Lane Kiffin, um, at Florida Atlantic University. And Lane Kiffin said he would have hired Art Bryles, but he didn't want to deal with the protests. Yeah, so it had... <sighs> yeah, it's just uh, really, like, I can't even... So I have outrage fatigue right now, but like, I can't even summon how incredibly reprehensible this behavior and this attitude is, which is, oh yeah, I would have hired him except for the fact that I just don't want to deal with pesky protesters. He willfully turned a blind eye towards the appalling and horrific behavior of his players. Going so far as to blame the victims in each of many of these instances, like what kind of discipline? She's a stripper, so yeah. she doesn't get any justice because his players raped her. Or it's... <laughs> anyway, Art Brow should never get another job ever. I hope he ends up living homeless under like a bridge or something. Because well, I can think of a lot worse things to happen to him. He yeah. might sue us now since that seems to be all he has time to do anymore. Um, but yeah, it's it's awful. And the fact that the Baylor, the university sat on this information um, for mm -hmm. years um, and have now only disclosed it when it's helpful to them, I think is a really 
damning statement about that school. Mm -hmm. um, if there are any young women listening here, don't go to Baylor. Um, it seems like a terrible place for, for humans. Um, yeah. So, I mean, but frankly, I would not be shocked if Art Bryles had a new job in the 2017-18 college football season. Yeah, I wouldn't, no, that wouldn't surprise me at all, which is even more outrageous, but... I guess we have a lot of other things to protest, so maybe Lane Kiffin won't have to worry about people showing up at his football games. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, and so we wanted to end on a happier note because it just feels like everything is really depressing and horrible these days. Um, Brooke and I actually talked a little bit about... Uh, this before we started recording today about like whether or not we would address how we were feeling about things <laughs> since you know everything went down on the 20th of January and I think from listening to us in the last half a year or however long we've been doing this you probably have a pretty good idea of where we lean politically um, so I don't think it comes as any surprise to you that the last two weeks have been extraordinarily difficult to get through on a day-to-day -day basis Burke went to dinner one night and came back and didn't realize we were going to go to war with Mexico and Australia. So it's, it's really shocking. Yeah, I'm like, oh, wow, that happened. And yeah, <laughs> it's like, and every time you sort of like, when I, you know, open up the, <coughs> the proverbial newspaper, it's just a, it's just a horror show, it seems. And um, uh, as, as Dan Pfeiffer, who I we used to work in communications for President Obama, said on Twitter, like, we need a new word for people who live on the West Coast and that fear you have. <laughs> That it's three hours ahead of the East Coast and like, what the fuck has happened yeah, in yeah. those three hours that Absolutely. I've been asleep and they've got to jump on us. Exactly. So it literally is when in the morning <coughs> when I wake up and I like turn on my phone and I'm either reading like The Guardian or Twitter or whatever. It's just like I literally I will look with one eye open because I'm so afraid of what it's going to say. Well, it's funny you should mention this more funny, sad than anything else. But last week on Friday... Um, I was driving to a conference in Yosemite, so I there's no reception most of the drive there. Anyway, I get out of the car and run into some of my colleagues, and I'm like, oh, hey, did I miss anything? What, <laughs> what crazy shit did Trump do now? And it was the immigration order. So I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I was out of touch for three hours, and now our entire immigration system has gone to shit. How is this possible? But, um Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so that's all to say that like we really do want to ensure that our podcast is still focused on legal issues, dealing with sports figures and celebrities, because that's, you know, that's why we're here. Um, Burke might start our own podcast, like really <laughs> against <laughs> Donald Trump. And that's totally fine, but you know, we want you to know that if you come to listen to under further review, you will get our commentary on on these more specific topics as opposed to the wider range of topics, which we could probably talk about for days. Although I do share the Toronto Raptors' Kyle Lowry's response when he was asked about the executive order, and that is, it is bullshit. <laughs> he said that four times in a 20-second interview, and then when he was asked to repeat his comments without cursing, he <laughs> yeah, said bullshit again. Yeah. So he good on you, Kyle Lowry. You could be our, like, podcast mascot. <laughs> Um, so to end on a uh, non-political note, um, Johnny Depp uh, 
Johnny Depp's uh, basically sued his uh, former management team uh, for fraud. He said that they defrauded him out of, I think, almost like $25 million and didn't uh, tell him, didn't exercise their fiduciary duty to inform him that he, his, uh, he was losing money um, at the rate at which he was losing money. His, the management team, the former management team, has countersued, uh, filed a cross-complaint against Johnny Depp, basically saying no... It was because of your insane spending habits that you lost all of this money. We weren't defrauding you. And in fact, we told you very frequently that you were spending way too much money on some crazy stuff. He has 14 houses. Yes. Um, and let's see. It was the complaint referred to his ultra extravagant mm -hmm. lifestyle that cost him in excess of $2 million a month to maintain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was... Car, houses and wine. Oh, he spent over $75 million on 14 residences, including a 45-acre chateau in the south of France, a chain of islands in the Bahamas. <laughs> Not just one island, a chain a of chain. islands. Multiple houses in Hollywood, several penthouse lofts in downtown Los Angeles, and a horse farm in Kentucky. $18 million to acquire and renovate a 150-foot luxury yacht. Millions more buying and maintaining 45 luxury vehicles. This might be my, I'm not sure. One of the next two I think is my favorite. $30,000 a month on expensive wines flown from all over the world. $3 million to blast the ashes of Hunter S. Thompson out of a custom-made cannon in Aspen, Colorado. Tens of millions of dollars on an extremely expensive art collection, including world-class jewelry. Millions on collectibles and memorabilia involving icons such as Marilyn Monroe, John Dillinger, and Marlon Brando. $300,000 per month on 40 full-time full employees. Staff. Yeah. What the hell are they doing for him? Well, he's got how many of those properties he has to maintain, oh, right? That's so. true. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't... Actually, $300,000 doesn't sound that... For odd. 40 people? No. Actually, that's probably that's one probably of the, like, the, the most reasonable, reasonable things. Um... $150,000 a month for full-time security guards to protect him and his family, although they were really unsuccessful in protecting Amber Heard. Um, $200,000 a month on private planes, and then $10 million over the years um, supporting various friends and family, including $4 million invested into a failed music label run by a friend. Um the Hunter S. Thompson thing is so awesome. <laughs> Did he, like, was it $3 million to create the... The cannon? To build the cannon or, like, rent the property or have all the... I don't know. It's How do you spend $3 million shooting somebody's ashes out of a cannon? I'm, I'm not entirely sure because, like, cannon technology we have. So you're trying to, right. like, boost this cannon... I don't know how far they were shooting the ashes. If it was just like, we're just shooting it over there or like into the stratosphere or I mean, something. You can like shoot a person out of a cannon. This can't be more complicated than that. This can't be $3 million more complicated. Did they have to like turn the ashes into a cannonball? Even that's not going to cost $3 million. No, I'm fascinated by <laughs> the $3 million on Hunter S. Thompson and his ashes. Why did Hunter S. Thompson speak? Because that's what he wanted to do. Like, why did Johnny Depp have to pay for that is my other question. But, oh, I'm sure, well, I don't know that, I would just say that Johnny Depp probably didn't have to pay for it. I think Maybe. he's probably reading, you know, the he's list. He's just a generous soul. <laughs> exactly. He just had money to throw around. So, um, so that's, yeah, so that's actually been um, making it, it the rounds for the last couple of days. And I just thought, those were pretty hilarious things too. Um, it's just a lot of airing of dirty laundry, actually. I know it's really embarrassing. It is really embarrassing. 
I, I wish I had $30,000 a month to spend on wine. That sounds yeah. amazing. <laughs> All right. Can you imagine how easy your life would be if you had a staff of 40? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't even, great. I, I don't even know what I would do with 40 people in my life. Just I don't even know what I would do with like my own assistant like, yeah, at work. Yeah, that's very, <laughs> <laughs> very true. Um, but yeah, so Johnny Depp, maybe that's why he hasn't paid out the divorce settlement to Amber Heard. Because he doesn't have any money? Maybe because she was getting a lot of flack for not having made the charitable donations mm-hmm. that she committed to making mm-hmm. based on her divorce settlement. But then um, she commented that's because Johnny Depp hadn't paid her yet. Yeah. I believe that was like in December. So maybe he's come around to paying her. But it also could be because he has no money. Maybe yeah. he should sell one of his 14 houses and then he would be in better shape. I thought I had read uh, that they had come to some, was it some other um something else regarding that um the money settlement oh i guess it's like so it'll be within two years that she's donating it because i guess maybe he has a payment plan sure which i don't know that that's terribly unusual no but if you have if you basically are spending three million dollars a year on what was the thing that he was spending three million dollars a year on it was three million dollars a year on hunter s thompson's ashes oh um but I think it's like all the private planes and all of that stuff that. Um, well, three point three hundred thousand dollars a month on staff, staff. Mm-hmm. is about almost four million dollars a year. So. So yeah, God, I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> it is. So uh, so anyways, we wanted to end on a more lighthearted note, and um, hopefully we will be back uh, sooner than six weeks. Yes. To talk to you about. Um, things that are going on i know that aaron hernandez double murder trial is um probably starting soon so we'll have lots to talk about there um and it's like super bowl tomorrow so someone's probably gonna get in trouble i know they're in houston apparently i was reading that a flight attendant stopped some human trafficking on the way into houston i only read the headline so maybe that's fake news but um that wouldn't surprise me if it were accurate um, so I'm sure somebody is going to do something wrong in Houston. Yeah. Um, Atlanta may burn down if they don't win. So <laughs> yeah, so we'll probably have plenty of things to talk about. Um, anyways, hope that you guys are doing all right. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Bye.